Hi, welcome to Cochrane Alliance Church and our online sermons. We are so glad you are able to join us. We pray that this sermon will be a blessing and an encouragement to you this week. So let's, uh, let's pray together as we start the service this morning, as we start the sermon this morning, not the service, the sermon. Heavenly Father, let us be in awe of you and your goodness, who you are, what you have done. And so we just ask that in this new year, we would have a tangible sense of your presence. We invite you, Holy Spirit, come. Breathe on us. Speak to us. Let the word of God come alive. And let us be your people, united together, one faith, one baptism, one calling, one Lord and Savior. Let us be your people, doing your will. We ask this in your name. Amen. There's a guy named Paul Miller who I just picked up his book this week. And uh, I want to share with you, to open this sermon, I want to share with you a story that he told, told in his book. It's called A Praying Church. And, and he opens the book with this story. And it goes like this. There's an, an East, it's a true story. There's an East Indian evangelist describing his very first experience at an American church prayer meeting. He was visiting a megachurch that was known even in India for the pastor's amazing preaching and outstanding theological insight. And so he was thrilled on that Sunday morning when the pastor invited all 3,000 people at a church that morning to the midweek prayer meeting. And the pastor even shared that there was something very heavy on his heart for prayer. And so this evangelist couldn't wait because in India, the prayer meeting was the heartbeat of the church. It's where you stormed the heavens, often far into the night until the burden to pray was lifted. And so he was so excited that he was going to be praying with these people. These thousands of people would pray together. And so midweek, he was there. The designated prayer chapel only seated 500 people. So he arrived early to make sure he would get a seat. But at the designated 7 o'clock start time, he was the only one there. At 7.15... Puzzled, wondering if maybe he'd gotten the wrong location, he went outside to check the name of the prayer room, make sure it was what the pastor had said, and yes, it was the same chapel the pastor had mentioned on Sunday. Finally, at 7.30, a few people straggled in, uh, but the leader, the person who was supposed to lead it, wasn't there yet, so they were chatting about the sports and the weather until the leader of the prayer meeting arrived at 7.45, and the leader shared a very short devotional with all seven people who were there, prayed very briefly, and closed the meeting. And the evangelist was absolutely stunned. There was no worship. There was no crying out to God for help. There was no senior pastor. What was so heavy on the senior pastor's heart? Couldn't have been that heavy. He didn't bother to show up. What about prayer for the sick? What about prayer for the lost? No one in this story, no one in this church thought that corporate prayer was really important. Not the senior pastor who mentioned it from the front but didn't bother to show up. Not the congregation of 3,000 whom only seven came to the meeting, and certainly not the prayer leader who was 45 minutes late for his own prayer meeting and held a brief prayer. I think they need to review his job. <laughs> like that, that might be something that needs to be talked about. But prayer was really just a window dressing for all the other things that went on in the church. And what I've found is stories like this actually aren't uncommon. In general, prayer is always mentioned and talked about in our churches. We say we value prayer but we generally struggle to bring people together to pray. 
I'll never forget holding a unity service in Drumheller one time where all the churches gathered together and, and a big emphasis of the unity service was praying together. And, when, and uh, how we'd done it in the past is, you know, someone would come to the front and just lead us in a prayer and there'd maybe be a call and response. And one time we said, hey, why don't we get the people from different churches to pray together? We had about 20 people leave when we, when we said, we're going to pray together now. And I heard someone muttering on the way out, like, I'm not, I didn't come here for that. <laughs> it's like, what'd you come here for then? Like, what are, you, what are you doing here? But there's like this resistance to pray together. Now, this struggle to pray together isn't unique in the Western church. It exists kind of across the Western churches, but it doesn't seem to be a struggle in places like China, India, some African countries, or, or Latin America. It's it's almost uniquely an issue for Western church culture. And why is it an issue that's mostly in the Western church? I think one big reason is that in our peace and in our prosperity, we rely too much on our own strength, our own resources, our own plans, and our own desires. We embrace our strengths, forgetting that it is our weakness which allows us to see God's strength working in us and through us. As the Apostle Paul learned and then taught us, the Lord said to Paul, Paul had this weird thing that we still don't fully understand, but he said, I have had a thorn in my flesh, and I have prayed for the Lord to remove this from me three times, but the Lord has not. And Paul says, this is what the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul teaches, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think there is a sense in which, because we often have all that we need and often all that we desire, we feel as though we don't really need to pray. Now, we would never say that. We would never publicly say we don't need to pray. We're like the mega church pastor who's like, oh, I got a burden on my heart. We must pray. But I think sometimes functionally we act that way because we can do so much with the resources we already have. We have financial resources. We have well-trained and well-educated members of our churches that can accomplish so many things. We, we're not under intense persecution like our brothers and sisters around the world. We have a lot of freedom to kind of do whatever we want. And it's truly a blessing to have these people and to have these resources and to have this freedom. Yet what I think is maybe happening sometimes is we put too much faith in human resource, too much faith in our own strength, forgetting that the Lord does not need our strength, but desires us to embrace our weakness and then ask for his strength. Paul is given a thorn in the flesh that the Lord does not remove so that Paul will rely on the Lord's strength. For the Lord says, my power is made perfect in weakness. And if we buy into the lie of the world that we need to be powerful, we will miss the true power of God because we won't embrace our weakness. We will fight for our power. Maybe this observation from the Chinese house church leader, Brother Yoon, captures some of that problem we have. He writes, on some occasions, I've struggled while speaking in Western churches. There seems to be something missing that leaves me feeling terrible inside. Many meetings are cold and lack the fire and presence of God that we have in China. And in the West, many Christians have an abundance of material possessions. They have silver and gold, but they don't rise up and walk 
in Jesus' name. He says, in China, we have no possessions to hold us down. So there's nothing preventing us from moving out for the Lord. The Chinese church is like Peter at the beautiful gate. When he saw the crippled beggar, he said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He goes on, he says, when I'm in the West, I see all the mighty church buildings and all the expensive equipment, plush carpets and state-of-the-art sound systems, and I can assure the Western church with absolute certainty that you don't need any more church buildings. Church buildings will never bring the revival you seek. The pursuit of more possessions will never bring revival. What will bring revival? If you look at the scriptures, especially the history of the early church, we see that devotion to prayer, which strengthened them with Holy Spirit power and with the very presence of Jesus, led the early church to do and to be what God had called them to be. Without prayer, they would miss the leading and the filling of the Holy Spirit and so miss what God is calling them to do. And prayer is the critical factor. Years ago, I I read a book called Transformational Church, and and this book was a a research book, a survey book, uh, that that had surveyed churches in North America, uh, and the criteria was the churches had to see lives being transformed. So they were looking for churches that, that were saying, you know, we have a lot of people coming to faith, or we have a lot of people being baptized, and they didn't really care about the size of the church, like numeric size wasn't wasn't a factor. It could be 10,000, 4,000, could be 200, could be 40. But what they were looking for is, do you have a significant number of professions of faith in the last year, a significant number of baptisms that seems a little bit like out of the norm, out of the ordinary? And so the purpose of the study was to find out why these churches were seeing such dramatic life transformation. So there was 250 churches that met the criteria and joined the study. And what they found out is in these, in these churches where there was kind of an explosion of professions of faith, an explosion of baptisms, they were often doing kind of very similar things. And one of the biggest things that these churches did was pray. In these churches where there were significant movements of salvation and baptism, 73% of church members would write on the survey or answer on the survey that seeing people pray together is a normal sight in our church. According to the researchers, in churches where lives are transformed, prayer is the engine that drives the church. Prayer sustains their worship. Prayer is evident in their community. Prayer fuels their mission to love the non-Christians of their community. One of these transformational churches that was studied was uh, Tabernacle Baptist Church in Florida. And the pastor uh, was telling the story of their church and how they came to be called one of these transformational churches. He said, just a few years before the study was done, they were about to close the doors of the church. In fact, a businessman in town had already offered to buy the land and the building, and so they were holding one last meeting as a church to discuss the closing of the church. But they first decided that maybe let's do one last-ditch thing. Let's pray. Let's pray for revival. Let's see what happens. And so two people offered to hold prayer meetings in their homes. At the very first prayer meeting, a young woman actually became a follower of Jesus right there in the living room. And every night that there was a prayer meeting for the next, you know, few months, the people would say, you're not going to believe what God did last night at the prayer meeting. Stories came out of salvation and physical healing and financial provision. And eventually that just kind of spilled over into the Sunday service. The pastor was like, people were coming to faith just by singing worship with us. And so the pastor says, all I had to do is direct traffic, which is great. Now, obviously, that church was no longer thinking of shutting down. But what I want us to notice 
what led to this growth? And, and I don't want to use the word growth. What led to transformation? What led to lives being transformed, baptisms happening, professions of faith? Like, notice this. They didn't change their worship style. They didn't get better lighting rigs. They didn't get a better speaker. They didn't redecorate their building to make it look cooler or, you know, fancier. All they did was pray. And so I'm convinced that if we want to be a church that God can use to really transform lives in this community, we, we must be a church that prays together. And we're not in desperation mode like Tabernacle Baptist Church. But just because things are going well, and, and things are going very well, doesn't mean we shouldn't be diligent in prayer. My own experiences in ministry have taught me this, that prayer is the vital component to the work and the life of the church and of the believer. I remember when I first started out as a pastor, I was 25 years old. I didn't know anything. And I was called to be the solo pastor at a church in Drumheller. And Drumheller Alliance Church was a wonderful church filled with wonderful people. But when I came there, it was me, an inexperienced 25-year-old, my wife, and a congregation of, I'm being generous here, 35 people. And I, I don't think we ever had 35 people in that first year. Maybe, maybe a couple of times. And of those 35 people, most of them were at least 30 years older than me. And a good number of them were 40 years older than me. I went to a rural church pastors network one time and they're like, what's the average age of your congregations? And I was like, oh my, <laughs> I am by far the baby of this church. And I remember thinking, you know, as wonderful as these people are, and they were so wonderful and as faithful as they are, and they were so faithful, I thought, what does God want to do with us? And I had the thought, like, should maybe we just join another church and work with them? Like, they're barely making my very small salary work, <laughs> you know? Like, maybe we'd be better off joining another church and adding our resource to them, adding our prayer power to them, and just, just seeing this other church flourish. There's other churches in town. And so I was thinking, what does Drumheller Alliance Church exist to do, and what am I supposed to do here? I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I'd come out of Bible college. I had no idea what I'm supposed to do in, in a church like that. Love the people. Be faithful to the people. Minister to the people. But there was one other thing. There was two books that I was reading before I came into the Drumheller Church. They were Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Simbola. And then I read Forgotten God, a book on the Holy Spirit by Francis Chan. So I, I knew two things as well. I knew, okay, I'm going to be faithful where I am. I'm going to love these people. I'm going to shepherd these people. I'm going to minister to these people. But there are two things I know. I know the church needs to pray, and I know the church needs to rely on the Holy Spirit. And so in those early days, because I didn't know anything, and I was terrified, and I was certain that at some point, you know, I remember one time when the, we had one piano player, and they were going to move to New Brunswick. And I thought, well, that's it. There's no more worship. <laughs> you know, like, we, what are we going to do? We did have a, another guitar player um, who, who was doing it, but I was like, you can't have her do it every week. And so in those early days, I spent hours in the sanctuary praying because I didn't know what else to do. I prayed for help in writing the sermons. I prayed for help in talking to people whose spouses were dying. I'd never talked to someone whose spouse was dying. I'm 25 years old. 
I prayed for direction. I prayed for God to work in us and, and work through us. And, and we certainly didn't look like much, a very small congregation with a very young and inexperienced pastor. And from a worldly perspective, not what you would think the recipe for success would be. But I prayed. We got the church to pray. And the church was small enough that I was able to take about half the church members through a book called Power Praying, followed up with a study on the Holy Spirit, And the Lord began to do what the Lord does. We started to see people attending the church. There was starting to be excitement about what God might be up to. And can I say, uh, a 25-year-old preacher is not very good. So it wasn't the preaching. I've gone through some old sermons like, oh, I wonder, I've preached on that before. I wonder if I can pull that one out for Cochrane Alliance. Sometimes I can, but some of those old, old ones, no. You don't want to hear those. I don't want you to hear those. So I have, you know, God was doing what God does, and, and I was, you know, I have numerous stories of what God did in our midst and what prayer accomplished, but I think there's one moment that probably summarizes that whole period of, of prayer and reliance on the Holy Spirit, probably the, the turning point where I thought, okay, God is in this. We're going to be okay. It doesn't matter about how big we grow. It doesn't matter any of that, but we're going to be okay because God is doing something here. And it was when we were doing our second baptism Sunday. The first baptism Sunday, we had three people baptized, all from the same family. It was wonderful. But we were having our second baptism Sunday, and I was thinking about our church, and I was like, I don't think anyone's going to get baptized. Like, aren't they all Christians? Like, you know, and, and, you know, the church was growing at this point, so there were some people that I I didn't know super well. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And, And so I was praying that the Spirit would move in the hearts of the people, that those who had not yet done so would make commitments to be baptized. My wife was praying for this as well. And as we got towards the baptism Sunday, we had four people signed up to be baptized. And I thought, that's pretty good. For a church of our size, like, that's really good. But as I was praying, I felt this really weird thing. I felt the Lord saying, there's going to be more. And that I should pray for 10. 10 people for us, for at that time, a church, maybe a 75-person church, maybe more like a 65-person church. That seemed really unlikely. But I got home and I told Lori, my wife, and she started praying with me for 10 people, that the ones that the Lord was calling, that they would be baptized. By Saturday, I had eight people signed up. That's pretty close to 10, but it's not 10. So in faith, on the Sunday morning, I brought two extra towels to the church, thinking you never know, they might like show up just before the service. Like, I don't know how this is gonna play out, but I feel like it's 10. I feel like that's the number. And so sure enough, before the service, I had one email waiting for me from a person asking if it was too late to be baptized. And I got a phone call about 40 minutes before the service. Someone saying, I wanna be baptized. Is it possible to get it done today? So we had our 10 people. And I was thanking God for moving in the hearts of his people. And I got the sense, there's still more. Invite people to come forward for baptism. Which again, in a church of like 60 or 70 people where you kind of know everyone, you just doubt there's going to be more than 10. So I'm like, that's going to sound foolish. Also, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to do that. I'm like 27 years old, I'm like, don't they have to do like a baptism class or something? Like, I was wrestling with this, like, shouldn't they, like, go through something? Like, didn't I take the other people through it? Well, I guess not these two people Sunday morning. Like, you know, the people who contacted me this week didn't do it, and I kind of let it slide because I felt like the Lord was saying it was good. So why not? If the Lord is moving, why not? And so I thought, okay, during the last worship song, at the end of the service, I'll invite anyone who feels that call or that nudge from the Holy Spirit to come on up and be baptized. Now, keep in mind, there's no extra towels because... I mean, there's two. There's two extra towels. There's no changes of clothes. There's, there's nothing. So I wasn't expecting much. So as that last song was playing, 
And I invited people, hey, if you feel like the, the Holy Spirit is moving and, and it's time for you to be baptized, you believe in Jesus, but you want to be baptized, uh, feel free to come forward. As that last song was playing, we had three people come up. And then as I was baptizing those three people, there was a lineup of four other people coming. And then there was, a, I think there was, like, there's so, it was crazy. I'm in the baptismal tank and I see people coming forward. And I was like, this is wild to me. And so we had a total of 17 people baptized. That was incredible. We baptized a young 20-something who had almost walked away from faith. We baptized a recovering alcoholic. We baptized teenagers who felt the Lord saying, this is your time, follow me in obedience. Nobody had seen anything like it. Nobody had expected anything like it. And what caused that to happen? It was prayer. It certainly wasn't my half-hearted invitation before the last worship song came. Hey, you know, if you kind of feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, you know, you can come forward and be baptized. I don't have any towels. You're going to be wet for the rest, you know, we're having a potluck after. Like, I don't know. It's not going to work very well. But if you want to come forward, you can come forward. It certainly wasn't that. Right? So it was prayer and the move of the Holy Spirit in God's people. And as we saw some pretty great things happen in that church, I would occasionally have people ask me, kind of from the outside looking in, like, what did you do there? What was your strategy there? And all I could say was, well, we prayed. We prayed. Because what, what strategy am I going to come up with? I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have any strategy. I just pray. And the church prayed, and I did end up getting strategy, but it was strategy that came from prayer. And I had plans, but they were plans that came from prayer. And I made decisions about the direction of the church that absolutely terrified me, but they came about through prayer, confirmed by others. So I acted in obedience, and the things that I thought were highly risky, I remember one time making a decision, I'm like, I think we're going to lose half the church. But it just kept leading to new people, new moves of God's presence and power. But it wasn't my wisdom or planning. It was prayer and the move of the Spirit. So as I come up on two years, February 1st is going to be two years here in Cochrane Alliance. I kept asking the Lord, what's the next season hold for us as a church here in Cochrane? When I came in, I came in at the tail end of COVID. Restrictions were lifting, but it was still there. And then we had, you know, it's just, there's a lot going on. So I thought, okay, Lord, what's next? What's the next season hold for us as a church here in Cochrane? And so I went to prayer retreat in November and some of what I had been thinking became confirmed. We need to focus and emphasize prayer. This is our season to focus and emphasize prayer. And this season of prayer needs to lead to sustained emphasis on prayer in our church. So we have, you know, for the next eight week sermon series, it's called Teach Us to Pray. And we're just going to examine the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We're going to go through the Lord's Prayer, just really basic stuff. And then we'll have a few other ways that we're going to engage in prayer that I'll, I'll talk about at the end of the sermon. But in this church, we want to pray together. We want to make sure we have meaningful times of prayer. We want prayer that excites us and renews us and convicts us and heals us and equips us. We don't want to have prayer that becomes stale and ritualistic, just something that needs to be done because it ought to be done. I want us to desire prayer. And we don't want just ritualistic, obligatory prayers to start the service and end the service. I've heard them called bookend prayers. It's a good way to start and a good way to end. Right? You need something to start the service. We want prayer to be woven into the fabric of who we are as a church. We want prayer to be an essential part of our DNA. And why do we want this? We want community prayer to become an essential part of us because that's the model we see from the very beginning of the church. It's how the church runs. I'm just going to take us really quick through the book of Acts. 
It's going to be quick. I'm just going to highlight some things. I just want to draw your attention to a few passages. A lot of you might know these. But I just want you to see how prayer is the engine that drives the church. Prayer that leads to Holy Spirit empowerment and guidance. But in Acts chapter 1, the disciples of Jesus, along with Jesus' brothers, his mother, and several other women, all met together and were constantly united in prayer. So right away, before there's even any sort of formal church, the followers of Jesus are constantly united in prayer. By Acts chapter 2, the church is growing exponentially. 3,000 believers are added in one day. So you kind of have this formalized church growing. And this is what that very, very first iteration of the church did when they met. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in the meals, including the breaking of bread, communion, and to prayer. So of the four things that the early church did, we see prayer listed as the main part of the church life. And clearly the context here is not individual prayer, it's speaking of praying in community. They prayed together and devoted themselves to it. And Tom Rainier says, don't read too quickly past that word devoted. The word has such intensity and deliberation to it. When the early church devoted themselves to prayer, they were doing a lot more than reading some names off of a list. They were fervent, intense, and passionate about prayer. They had no doubt that God was listening and responding. And a failure to pray was a tantamount to failure to breathe. Prayer was not an add-on to start the service or to begin the meal. It was serious stuff. Prayer was the lifeblood of the early church. The churches that we see in the New Testament show us that it would be unthinkable to have a church that saw prayer as just kind of something that we do, because that's what churches do. They really believed that prayer mattered. They really believed that prayer changed things. For example, you can look in Acts chapter 12. King Herod Agrippa has arrested Peter, and Herod has just killed John's brother James. So Peter's in this life-threatening position, like he could lose his life. And here's what the church did. While Peter was in prison, the church prayed earnestly for him. Immediately after reading how the church turned to prayer, we read this account of an angel appearing to Peter in prison. So the church has been praying for Peter. Oh Lord, protect him, save him, release him. They've been praying for Peter. And an angel appears to Peter in prison and leads him out of the prison. Once he escaped, Peter went to the home of Mary where many were gathered for prayer. Prayer was a natural part of the church life. Sometimes it just happens spontaneously. In Acts chapter four, Peter and John are arrested by the temple guards. Now eventually they're released and so they go and find the other believers. And what do they find the other believers doing? Well, we read, all the believers were united and lifted their voices in prayer. And they prayed that day spontaneously, and they prayed bold prayers that day. They didn't say, keep us safe or stop the persecution. They said, give your servants great boldness in their preaching. Send your healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of Jesus. That's a big, bold prayer. And you know what happened after they prayed this? The building where they were meeting shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached God's message with boldness. So prayer is an integral part of the early church. Prayer is an essential part of meeting together and it's the reason the church was able to share the gospel message despite strong persecution and strong opposition. So the question becomes, is prayer an essential part of this church? So my hope is that as we spend the next eight weeks focusing on prayer, that it'll become something that we desire and thirst for. I hope that by the end of this year, by the end of 2024, we will think of prayer as a vital part of our church's culture. And just as we end the sermon here, I just want to dig into that question, why do we pray? Now I know whole books have been written about why do we pray, and I could just give you a list of answers. But there's an insight from Paul Miller's book that I want to close with to draw on this question, why do we pray? 
Miller writes that primarily we pray because prayer accesses the spirit of Jesus. And Jesus now lives by the spirit. So when we pray, the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of Jesus, ministers to us and through us. He writes that praying together is good for us. And our heavenly father does answer our prayers. But he says this, the Bible's vision for prayer is much bigger. When we talk about prayer, we're talking about the very life of Jesus by his spirit flowing into our lives, our families, and our communities, reflecting the immeasurable greatness of his power. That's why praying together as a church is so critical. Prayer is not a ministry of the church. It is the heart of all the ministries of the church. Without prayer, I've done this. I've seen how powerful and effective prayer will be. And then once I kind of get, you know, to a certain place, okay, thanks, God, I got it from here. I'll, I'll take over. Don't worry. I know what I'm doing now. Now I'm 30. I got it. I know I've preached a few sermons. Don't worry. I got this one. And when that happens, we will try and run the church on our own power and our own strength. But with prayer, the spirit runs the church. And I can tell you that a church that follows the spirit is the only church that will make lasting and eternal impacts. Miller writes this, if you miss the spirit of Jesus, then prayer becomes a dreary work. He says, I'm in about 80 prayer meetings a month, but you'll seldom hear me talk about the power of prayer. I couldn't sustain prayer if I were focused on prayer. It's the spirit of Jesus who I want to run my life, my family, and my ministry. That's how a Jesus follower does life. Prayer brings us closer to Jesus, who lives in us and through us by his spirit. Without prayer, we become desensitized to the Spirit's presence. And then, like I said, we try and run our own lives. We try and run our own churches. We try and run our own ministries when it's the Spirit who should be running all these things. Because the Spirit only does what is good and pleasing to the Father, and he only draws attention to Jesus. And so prayer, as I see it, is spiritual life and connection. It is intimacy with God. And when we pray together in community, it's spiritual power and life that binds us all together in the very life of Christ. Prayer solidifies our union with Jesus and his life is then reproduced in our lives. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And prayer, which releases the life of Jesus in us and through us, will of course have spiritual power to change the world. And not only us, but change the world. In Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, Paul prays that spiritual power would explode on the inside Right? He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. So first there's this inner explosion of the, the presence of Jesus. And then Paul concludes his prayer for the church in Ephesus here in chapter three by asking that the spirit's power would explode outwardly, saying now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we might ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory. And so there is no doubt that any church that seeks to do the will of God must be a praying church. There's no way to live the spiritual life without prayer. So as we move towards fulfilling the, the words of the stone on the front of our church, which says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I love that stone. I think it's often forgotten, but it's there. I pray that we would pray with expectancy. And pray with boldness. Pray big prayers. We're not speaking dead words into the void. We're joining our spirit with the life-giving spirit of Jesus to do his will and his work and to be sent into the world as he was sent. 
So I mentioned earlier, we're going to have some other ways of facilitating prayer throughout, you know, the next few months. And one of those ways is to pick up a copy of the book, Pray the Word for Your Church. It's 31 days of prayer for your church, and it's just using scripture. Um, They were supposed to be in this week, but they all got delayed for some reason, so they're going to be in next week, I hope. It's been very hard to get a copy of this book. Apparently, no one wants to just like pray scripture over their church or something, because it's like I could only get 45 copies. Uh, so I have 45. You could also get it on Kindle. We'll have more information about that coming up. But how cool would it be if even if we had 45 people praying together prayers over our church? I think that'd be amazing. I think you would start to see amazing things happening. And I'm going to put the link up uh, for the Kindle book as well, so we can get more Um, We're also going to be relaunching our monthly Sunday evening prayer summits as well. The first one's going to be Sunday, March 3rd. I just want to give us time to like soak in the the stuff on prayer and to to do the 31 days of prayer. We're going to do Sunday, March 3rd, and I'll have more information as we get closer to that time. But... And there's going to be some other stuff that that comes as the Lord kind of leads and provides. And I'm going to call the worship team up as we close here. But that's really our emphasis for this season to be a church that prays. And, and what I, my hope would be is this. I know sometimes when you think of prayer, I'm guilty of this. I'm like, okay, so we're just gonna sit around and like read names off a list. That's not what I want us to think of prayer as, but prayer is that joining of our spirit with the Holy Spirit. It's the very presence of Jesus now moving in us and through us, uniting us as one. And I'm just gonna close today by reading Paul's word to the Colossians. I'm gonna read his words on how he prays for them and then how he asks them to pray for him. We see that Paul understands that the entire life of faith must be covered in prayer. And so Paul writes this, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's a good prayer. And then he asks them this, At the end of the letter, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we would proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And so Paul understands we're gonna pray for you and you're gonna pray for us. And prayer is gonna lead us to where we need to go. And so I think that's the word for us. We're gonna pray for each other. And prayer is going to be what leads us to the next season of what God wants to do here in this church. So I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, if you want to come forward for prayer uh, after this last song that we sing, we're going to have the altar prayer team here available. Um, Sometimes you're like, I don't know, I don't really feel like I need prayer for anything. But if you know of someone in your life that, that is struggling, you can come forward and just say, hey, can I lift this person up with you in prayer? So feel free to make use of our altar prayer team. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, We are so grateful that through your son, Jesus, we can come confidently, boldly, it says in your word, to the throne room to make our requests known to you. 
I'm reminded in Revelation, Father, that you say that the, the prayers of your people are contained in bowls that the elders carry. And the prayers of your people are like incense that go up before you. And so, Father, I ask that we would be a church that is fully submitted to the voice of your spirit, that we would do only what you have called us to do, that we would listen well, that we would be bold and courageous in what you were calling us to do, and that you would bind us together in love and in unity and in faith. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, worship together.